Please remain standing and open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, as I invite Reverend Miller Ansel to come and to share God's word with us, leading us to Christ. Uh, He is our pastor at Trinity OPC in Waco, Texas, so please give him your full attention as he leads us to Christ. Yes, uh, please turn to Philippians 4. We'll read the whole chapter, uh, though we are only focusing on uh, verse 11. It says, The infallible word of God, please give it your full attention as it is read. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore you, Odia, and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we are grateful you've given us this word to be a light to our path, a guide for our feet, showing us the direction to walk to godliness, the direction to the celestial city is found in your very words. So do not let us seek the wisdom of man or tradition of man, but let us seek your ways, which are far above our ways and reveal to us in your holy scriptures. And Lord, may our undivided attention be granted upon the preaching of your word. There is nothing more needful at this moment now than our own sanctification and our own growth in holiness. So let us attend to your word and the preaching of it with all 
reverence and love, seeking to be convicted, to be perhaps converted, seeking to be assured and comforted by the scriptures and by the redemption brought by our Savior, Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the season is upon us. The season is really coming to a close, isn't it? Uh, This great time of year where we spend time with friends and family. Uh, We get to enjoy the festive music, the big meals, uh, games and drinking eggnog and wassail. Uh, The sending and receiving of cards. Uh, We put up decorations. We watch movies. We give gifts. Truly, the Christmas season is an enjoyable season for most. And yet, along with it comes many temptations for our dark and sinful hearts. Of course, we could speak of the temptations of loneliness. We could speak of uh, temptations of um, gluttony or drunkenness. But this morning in particular, we see that the Christmas season reveals our discontentment. Typically, at least in years past, it has started the day uh, after Thanksgiving with Black Friday that seems to be giving way to Cyber Monday, right? It was quite a, quite a time, Black Friday. You would spend Thursday, Thanksgiving, being thankful and loving and grateful for all you have. And hours later, you're trampling your neighbor uh, to buy a TV. Nevertheless, we see that... The Christmas season and the commercialism of Christmas gives way to discontentment in ourselves. And it is that, that discontentment that the world puts before us, that Satan puts before us, that our own flesh puts before us as well, and tempts us to be unsatisfied with our condition, to be unsatisfied with every good gift the Lord has given us. In fact, Anne Rand, how often do you hear her quoted from OPC pulpits? Um, Anne Rand once observed, the best aspect of Christmas is that Christmas has been commercialized. The gift buying stimulates an enormous outpouring of ingenuity in the creation of products devoted to a single purpose, to give men pleasure. As if our dark hearts needed any extra burden as we deal with our own lack of contentment, as we deal with seeking our own pleasure rather than our neighbor's, rather than the Lord's. And here it is, as as she says, this Christmas season brings out the ingenuity to tempt our hearts once again to be discontent. How easy it is. How easy it is to covet the things our neighbors have, wishing we received those same things. Right? I want the Nintendo Switch. My neighbor got one. The PlayStation, the electric scooter, uh, the interactive doll or dollhouse, maybe a puppy, jewelry, cruises, a new car, tools, uh, oh, books, right? That's what we, uh, my neighbor got uh, the very nice set of uh, of Bovink's Reformed Dogmatics, and I have this old paperback. Um, How easy it is to be discontent. And I imagine a lot of us know what it's like uh, to stare down Christmas morning at socks and underwear Wishing we had something more. But as Christians, we are called to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. Thus, we must be content in whatever situation we are in. And so this morning, first we're going to examine what contentment means. So first, what contentment means. 
Then we'll briefly look at two popular sins of discontentment. And thirdly, we'll finish up with how Christ's own contentment is given to us as the cure for our discontentment. So first, what contentment means? Will we begin asking the question, where was Paul when he's writing Philippians? Where is Paul when he's writing, I have learned to be content in all situations? Uh, He's writing a letter to the church in Philippi from jail. He's in jail writing that he is content. He knew his joy was not found in freedom. He knew his joy and happiness was not found in alleviating any physical discomfort. It wasn't even found in material things. His joy, his contentment was found in Christ alone. And it's the question we must ask ourselves continually over these next 24, 48 hours. Is my contentment tied to material things or is my contentment found in Christ? We must ask ourselves this daily, really. Because contentment does not come naturally, does it? We have our little children. uh, They become discontent and quickly learn no and mine. They learn how to steal their siblings' toys. They learn how to hit because they are discontent. We must learn contentment. That's exactly what Paul says. It doesn't come naturally. He has learned to be content. We must work at it. We must improve upon being content. And that improvement is not merely an outward feigning contentment. It's an improvement that must begin in the heart. Godly contentment begins in the heart. We can trick each other. We do it all the time, don't we? We've learned how to pretend to be content, pretend to be happy for our neighbor who got something better. But inwardly, we, ha- we harbor a covetous heart. Judas Iscariot's a perfect example of a man who acted content, around Jesus, asking, really, who would be the one to betray you? Deep down in his heart, he knows he even kisses the Christ. But his discontentment led him to betray our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. His discontent heart led to terribly sinful actions. So let us learn to be content, not just outwardly, but let it begin inwardly in our hearts. This means that we are willing to accept whatever condition God's providence has placed us in. There's a few ways we could define contentment. This would be one of them. That we are willing to accept whatever condition God's providence has placed us in. Such that in our hearts, in times of difficulty and affliction, we take up our cross. We crucify the flesh. We resist the devil and we wage war on discontentment. As Christians, we are willing to die for the sake of Christ. And so we don't sit and ponder in our hearts, is this really my cross to bear? And um, asking these questions in our times of difficulty. But yet, if contentment is being willing to accept whatever condition God's providence has placed us in, uh, how do we we respond then in times of suffering? Whether persecution or just difficult providences that we endure. May we unburden our hearts to the Lord. May we lament. And absolutely, of course, that's not a sign of discontentment. God loves for us uh, to, in some sense, complain to him. Not complain about him, but to go to the Lord with our difficulties and unburden ourselves. If you need help doing that, or if you're not convinced that it's appropriate, read the Psalms. 
David is constantly unburdening his heart to the Lord in terrible, life-threatening circumstances. So our contentment does not do away with prayer, and certainly prayers of lamentation. But rather, it's prayer that's going to be the key to enduring those times, to, to continue in a calm, submissive manner uh, to the Lord and what he has ordained for us. Also, being content in the providences that God has placed us in, we might then wonder, is it okay then to better my circumstances? Can I seek that promotion at work? Right, A call to contentment is not to wallow in our circumstances or to throw pity parties. It's to trust God in the situation we are in and continue to pray to him and even to better our situations. It's a call to trust the most wise and sovereign God that he truly does direct our lives to the best ends. And so even as we do seek to perhaps better our circumstances, it is done trusting the Lord and continuing joyfully, contentedly in the place we are in. But how are we doing it at that? How are we doing at trusting the Lord where he has placed us at this moment? Do we really trust God when things get rough? Or do we get upset? Do we actually sinfully complain and think this shouldn't have happened? And too often then we put our trust in other things to give us contentment. That is to say, when we find ourselves in a difficult providence thinking this shouldn't have happened to me, I'm far better than this. What are you doing, Lord? We end up then setting aside the very means God has given us to help. We quit trusting in the Lord. We start trusting in our own ways. When we should be on our knees in prayer, we get upset at our circumstances and begin whining and crying. For a child, it's easy. You give them a pacifier. But yet we turn from the Lord and we become pacified in other means. Food. Shopping sprees, alcohol, drugs, pornography, anything to content our flesh in moments of discontentedness. But yet I'm sure we've all tried something along these lines when we've been discontent, and yet we find it really doesn't work long term, does it? Again, our contentment is not tied in finding ungodly ways to deal with it. Our contentment is not tied to material things. Our contentment is to be found in Christ alone. Another question as we consider contentment. Will we submit to God's providences freely? I think many of us have a sense of duty. Um, right? God has called me to be content, so I will be content. Uh, Lord willing, we can move past that duty. It's not necessarily a bad thing. We do have a duty to obey the Lord. But hopefully we can get to a point where we freely are content, where it's our heart's desire to be content in difficult providences, to even say, I will take pleasure in terrible affliction because my God is with me and loving me. When our, when our contentment is tied to material things, there is great danger because we take pleasure in those things and then they get taken away and we can go to a bad place and become mentally unstable, become angry, become depressed. But yet when we resolve to be content in whatever providences God gives us because the Lord is with us, we have a treasure chest of righteousness he has given us. 
That cannot be taken away, and we are given the ability to endure and be content in terrible affliction. Proverbs 15.6 says, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure. What that means is the thief can come and he can steal all he wants. Right? It brings, at this time of the year, uh, some, the Grinch comes to mind, doesn't he? The thief can come and steal all he wants, and the Grinch can come and take your tree and take your presents and all your decorations, and he can, take, uh, he can attempt to take your joy, but in the house of the righteous there is much treasure. It cannot be taken away. When you have the righteousness of Christ, no thief, no Grinch can come and steal that. Consider, again, Paul in prison, all taken away from him, and yet he is content. He had nothing, but he was a righteous man with a treasure of righteousness in Christ. Pray that is our our goal in life, to imitate Paul in this manner as he imitates Christ. But too often, uh, we want to, in some ways, bargain with God, say, I would be content if only I had blank. But there's always something more, and we know this well. We get what we've longed for for so long, and then after a while, it, uh, we become jaded with it, even dissatisfied, and we want something else because we think more material stuff will make us content. And yet, each and every one of us here has more stuff than imprisoned Paul, and yet we're still unsatisfied with our situation. If we must be discontent, if we must be unsatisfied, let it be with our lack of godliness. Let it be with our lack of the Lord. Don't let dissatisfaction stem from a lack of possessions. We often like to raise our possessions to the level of our desire. Contentment calls us to lower our desires to the level of our possessions. That is to say, we are called to melt our wills to the will of God. We must find contentment in what God has given us. And we do that by taking to heart his covenantal promises. Right? Especially if you're going through an awful situation. And you find it hard to be content these days. Remember that your contentment stems from the Lord being with you. Isaiah 43.2 says, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. Those are some pretty bad situations, right? Walking through the waters and through the flames. But the Lord is with you. Furthermore, the promise of Hebrews 13.5, Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But especially if you struggle with contentment, these would be great verses to memorize. It's a comforting feeling to know that when we do feel discontent, our Lord is with us. He will not leave us. Uh, He will not give up on us, no matter how discontent we may become. We can take confidence that he has promised to always be with us. And the promise that he is always with us means that we can be content in all circumstances. No matter what afflictions come our way, our loving Father in heaven has promised to give us all we need. But we don't always trust him. Again, back to the struggle. Because we look at what our neighbors have. We want to keep up with the Joneses. And yet our larger catechism says concerning the 10th commandment, 
It reminds us to have a full contentment with our own condition and such a charitable frame of the whole soul toward our neighbor. That's the same one way we've already discussed that we, in our discontent state, need to be drawn to prayer and not blame God for our lack of stuff. And then secondly, when our discontentment stems because our neighbor has the things that we want, we are actually happy for them. Do you actually joy when your neighbor receives the things you want? Uh, oh boy, how easy it is to think they don't deserve it. You deserve it. Why do they get that car, um, that home makeover, that vacation? It's so easy to envy what our neighbor has. But contentment means that we are pleased with what we have. That we're actually pleased that our neighbor has more. Good for them. I'm happy they have more. It is what contentment calls us to. So what is contentment? Uh, Jeremiah Burroughs in his work, um, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, puts it well. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. It's a bit of a mouthful, but um, he says that Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit, which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Okay, so we've considered what contentment is. We've even touched on some of the sins that are affiliated with discontentment. But now let us turn to examine two sins more fully. In fact, we've already touched on finances, and then we'll touch on complaining. But concerning money, our Lord says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Right? Where does the idol of wealth stem from? It stems from discontentment in our own financial state. In fact, we let wealth take on this godlike status to the degree that we're willing to sacrifice a lot to obtain it. Willing to sacrifice our happiness, our health, our children, our religion to obtain more money because we are discontent. In fact, we used to see that discontentment in the homes where a, a workaholic father, right, uh, doesn't get to see his family. Uh, he wouldn't go to church. He had to make more money. He wouldn't know his children. He had the zeal to pay off expensive car, lo car loans and mortgages. But it is this irrational zeal for a religious love of money that drives us and that stems from discontentment. Certainly wealth tempts us to forget God. Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9 reminds us, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be fool and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So as we do consider our contentedness with our finances, we see that there is great temptation in wealth. There's great temptation in poverty as well. On the one hand, Proverbs tells us that if we were to reach the level of, of wealth that we longed for, it might cause us to forget God. It might cause us to look at our bank accounts and see, say, look what I've worked for. Look what I have done. 
and then in forgetting the Lord, we would not have our salvation. So it can be a, a good thing that the Lord does not give us um, such wealth. Uh, it's much like uh, how children love to put on their uh, sons, especially sons love to put on their father's shoes, right? And a son puts on his father's boots, and he tries to walk around, but it's dangerous for him. Uh, he can't walk. He can't handle it. It's too much, too much boot. Uh, he can fall and hurt himself. Likewise, if the Lord gives us too much wealth, or we find ourselves striving after it, it can be a great hurt to us in our spiritual lives. It can cause us to leave the faith altogether. It is to say our blessings must come from God and not from making money, that we must be content in our financial situations and not sin by being discontent. Much of our discontentment also brings with it complaining. Another great sin that reveals the evil in our hearts, our own grumbling, right? The husband comes home and he complains about his work to his wife. The wife complains about the children. The children complain about school. It's all too, uh, it's all too common in our Christian households, right? We think we're really great. We don't get drunk and we don't swear. Uh, but boy... We can complain, can't we? And what are we saying when we complain? We are saying, God, what you have given me is worthless, and I deserve better than this. It's quite prideful. Who are we to complain? Certainly we are sinners who deserve the wrath of God, who deserve hell. The fact that we should treasure that we have a job to go to, a wife and a family to come home to, school to educate. These are gifts from God that the great king of the universe gives to us. We don't deserve them. But because of our discontentedness, we complain. But let me remind you next time you want to complain and grow discontent with what you have. Remember who you are. You are children of the king of all creation. What king's child is discontent? Or consider that you are the bride of Christ who has laid down his life for you. Won't your groom provide all that is needful? You are the body of Christ. Won't your head give you all that you need? Such complaining only shows our dissatisfaction with God's providence and quite often can lead to greater sins. Right? We complain. Recall when King Ahab complained. He was discontent. He wanted Naboth's garden. He coveted the garden. He complained to his wife. Of course, the discontentment leads to the complaining which leads ultimately to murder and even Ahab's own death. Or the complaining of Haman who longed for great honor. He was discontent and complained and didn't like Mordecai the Jew. And of course, in the book of Esther, we know that his complaining eventually leads to his own hanging from the gallows. We say it's important to snuff out the, the, the flame of complaining arising from discontentment because if we don't, great fire will burst forth. It's just the beginning of greater sins to come. 
We must keep our, our proud hearts in check, keep our complaining in check, keep our discontentment in check. So, beloved of Christ, will you enjoy the comforts you have, or will you complain because you didn't get what you really wanted, right? As you open your gifts tomorrow morning, will you be satisfied with a little? Would you be satisfied with nothing? Could you be content if a thief actually did break in and take all of your presents? Is your contentment tied to material gifts, or is it found in Christ? Right? A little bit ago, we prayed the Lord's Prayer. We pray, give us this day our daily bread. Is that our prayer? Really, to be content with our daily bread and to praise God, he has provided for it because he gives us all we need. But often we're not content. I'm sure we'll be discontent this week. What is our hope? What is our hope when we create an idol out of, out of wealth, when we complain so often, when we continue in discontentment, though maybe you're now resolving, I will be content, uh, but the thief comes and you find yourself discontent. What do we do? Well, our only hope is to look to Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness and knowing that our God will forgive us for our sins. We see this from Christ's life in three ways, especially. First is his example. Jesus, the Son of God, sets for us a clear example of contentment. We do not find him complaining in the Gospels. He wasn't rich. He did not make this world his home. But he remained content. Do you even remember, he says, foxes have holes, birds have nests. But Jesus said he had nowhere to lay his head. I'd be discontent if I had nowhere to lay my head. But the Son of God comes to set this example before us. He sets the example also of the great cost of following him, which is that it might cost us everything, and yet, if it does, we are to remain content in that situation, even in jail, like the Apostle Paul, even like Christ when he was unlawfully arrested. Could you be content? He doesn't complain. He remains content in all the afflictions and the providences that came his way. Thus, we are called to imitate Christ. But because we do not, we need his perfect active obedience. His perfect active obedience to God's law that was done in our place as if we did it. This is our hope when we are discontent. This is how Christ is the cure for our own sinfulness. Consider our first father, Adam, in the garden. Who committed the sin of discontentedness. He had all the trees. All of them he could eat from. Just the one he, sh- he can't. Just the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yet he was not content with that. He disobeyed the Lord. His heartfelt discontentment led to the physical action of disobedience and the biting into the forbidden fruit. Thereby plunging all of mankind into sin. And that guilt passed on to every one of us. Of course, we not only have Adam's guilt, we have our own guilt from our own discontentment. But this is where Jesus comes in. Faced with temptations as Adam in the garden. Faced with temptations as you have faced in the past and will in the future. Christ could have had anything in the world he wanted. And yet, he obeys God's command. No matter what affliction or persecution came his way, Christ remained content in his heart. And then, of course, in his actions. 
This is the good news. This is the gospel that Christ has obeyed in our stead. Christ was content because we're discontent. That Jesus' obedience is given to you as if you were never discontent. What love he has for his sinful, discontent people. We find forgiveness in his perfect act of obedience and the righteousness he has garnered to give to us. May we store that in our hearts as we read from Proverbs a minute ago. Not only in Christ's act of obedience, though, do we find the answer and the hope. We also see it in his own passive obedience. We find there the mercy for a sinful people. As Christ was humiliated and obeyed passively for our sake. He was content in his humiliation, right? This is the son of God, born of a virgin, born in the manger, made under the law, undergoing the miseries of this life. He took on the wrath of God, the curse of death on the cross, and was buried for three days so that your sins could be forgiven, so that your discontentment might be forgiven. Christ denied himself for your sake. You talk about practicing contentment. He was struck on the cheek, beard hairs ripped out, but he doesn't open his mouth to complain. He endures the difficult affliction for God's great plan, the plan to save a people for himself. For you, Christ was content to be like a lamb led before the slaughter, to have nails driven into his body, to bleed and die so that you would not have to face God's wrath on judgment day. And isn't that what is most important in all of life? That very redemption our Savior has given to us. As we think about our stuff and how we've grown in our discontentment, we truly have all we need. Our thinking must change that if I have Christ, I have everything. It's something that I've seen in godly parents, godly grandparents as they get older. All they long for, for their children and grandchildren, is to know the Lord. They know that there's nothing else that truly matters in this life but the salvation that we have in Christ. It is the one thing necessary. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Because the hour of temptation is here. And it is imperative that we recall what is most important in this life. But that if we do slip up tomorrow and find ourselves discontent, we have hope in the Savior who has lived and died for us. But I do exhort you once more, as you look around at your new gifts tomorrow morning, your video games and tools, and of course uh, that bobbing set, the jewelry, and so forth. Remind yourself of this question of Christmas contentment. Is my contentment tied to material gifts or is it found in Christ? Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, do not let us forget the great sacrifice of our Savior, of your Son, who has died the death so that our sins may be forgiven, that has lived a life that we may garner the righteousness that he gives to his children. Lord, let us long for more of Christ. If we must be discontent with anything, let it be with our, our lack of Jesus. 
Let it be with our lack of holiness. But Lord, through the preaching of this word, through uh, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper in a moment, may the Spirit come and give us the grace and grow us in holiness and grow us in contentment. Lord, we ask that this would all happen now. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.